It's planting season, and it's not too late to make sure your crops grow up fed and happy. Regardless of your spring crop, Fed and Happy offers a variety of worm-casting solutions in liquid and solid form to supercharge your soil, your yields, and your profitability. For fast, vibrant germination and seedling growth, mix your seed with Fed and Happy's screened granular castings pre-drilling. The Fed and Happy liquid seed treat and extracts offer the ideal mix of soluble solids loaded with living beneficial biology, mycorrhizal fungi, humates, and more. The Fed and Happy small spreadable castings are ideal for fast, easy soil incorporation. The large offer long-term stability and soil growth. But you don't have to figure this out on your own. Just call 833-GO-WORMS to speak with our farm team experts for a fast turnaround on a custom solution for your needs. Fare better against pests, disease, drought, and other potential hazards this season with Fed and Happy Worm Castings. Visit FedandHappy.com for a healthy harvest and any lawn, garden, and tree care needs. Available for pickup and on-farm delivery. That's F-E-D-N-Happy.com. Or call 833-GO-WORMS. Happy planting. Welcome. You're listening to Casually Baked, the podcast. Home base for the can of curious. Thanks for tuning in. It's high time. We had a high time. Together. Together. Yes, it's high time. We had a high time. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, your host and cannabis lifestyle guide. I'm celebrating my 44th birthday, so I'm starting this podcast out with a shameless plug. Casually Baked the Podcast is my labor of love, so if you've been inspired by my work over the past three years, there are a few ways you can show support for free. Number one, you can forward this and other Casually Baked episodes that you love to a friend. Two, you can subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform so each week's episode is ready and waiting for you. Three, you can rate and review Casually Baked on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Now, if my work has brought value to your work, if my work has inspired you to join the industry or improve your health and wellness and personal life, please become a podcast patron with a $5 or $10 monthly donation at patreon.com backslash casually baked. That monetarily equates to one bougie coffee a month or a burrito with all the fixins. So whatever your move to do, remember that the normalization and federal legalization of cannabis requires thoughtful and highly responsible dialogue, which I strive to deliver to you each and every week. In reflecting on my most recent trip around the sun, it's so clear to me that the difference between a happy life and a humdrum one is my ability to surf the winds of change with curiosity and a willingness to shine light into the darkness. Mainstream media has blurred the lines between truth and lies so fiercely that facts are now being debated. 
Opinions are wielded like weapons, and human discourse has devolved into snarky social attacks without real conversation. Anyone looking at 2020 on the surface, you're seeing one hell of a shit show. But here I am, looking deeper, seeking meaning, and finding it. I'm telling you, if you look for it, if you focus on it, whatever it is, good or bad, you're going to find it. Joe version 4.4 is hopeful and optimistic AF that I'm going to make this year a turning point in my career, my relationships, and my personal growth. I don't honestly know what's going to happen, but I do know that my thoughts become the things in my life. So I'm choosing the good ones, kind of like today's guest on the podcast. Bruce Perlowen was once a famous marijuana smuggler, but became an entrepreneur as he shifted his focus towards hemp over a decade ago. He saw the many biodiverse uses of hemp, the potential that it had, and he recognized that hemp would become the future of the cannabis industry. Bruce started Hemp Inc. in 2008 which focuses on meeting the demand for sustainable green solutions that hemp products can fulfill. Bruce is dedicated to making Hemp Inc. one of the leaders of the U.S. hemp industry, which is now projected to grow to $2.6 billion in sales by 2022, according to New Frontier data. On this podcast, Bruce and I discuss hemp farming, a desert hempathon, the rise of the cannabinoid known as cannabigerol, or CBG, and the importance of getting cannabis prisoners out of jail and back on their feet. So smoke them if you got them and settle in. It's time to get casually baked. I got the bottle of wine, the high dollar gun. I got the West Coast smoke, but I better just take one toast. Bruce, thank you so much for joining me on an episode of the podcast. I'm glad to be here, Joe. I came across your story and I was really interested. Um, You've had a a colorful background. You served nine years in prison for operating a nonviolent marijuana smuggling business. How does one get into that? (laughs) A nonviolent marijuana business or the marijuana business? I mean, having a, a giant smuggling operation. I mean, you know, we, we don't get started there. No, I actually grew up in North Miami where I actually started selling nickel bags of marijuana. So to all my friends, um, what we would do, we'd buy an ounce and we break it up into five nickel bags. We sell four of them, make our money back and have $5 worth of marijuana smoke ourselves. So I literally started selling $5 bags and dime bags, then, um, uh, then ounces, then pounds. And then 10 pounds and 20 pounds. And then one day a guy wanted to store uh, a 50 pound bale at my house. And he said, if you sell some of this, you can make $10 a pound. So we sold about half of it and then he sold the rest. Next time he brought a 50 pound bale down to store, we sold the whole thing. And now I'm starting to sell a decent amount of weight. Then he starts selling hundreds of pounds. Then you start selling thousands of pounds. Then you start offloading boats for smugglers. Then you become a smuggler. And back then, there was no conspiracy laws, and the worst you could face was five years in prison. So everybody worked with everybody. You know, it wasn't one of those things they had to catch your red hand. They didn't, it wasn't where people can say you did it and tell on you and snitch on you, and, and you can go to jail without them ever catching you red-handed just from somebody's word or a series of people's words. So 
um, everybody worked together. You either were selling somebody's load, you were offloading someone's load, someone was offloading your load. And then, so I got really big and got into the industry. And, you know, you got all the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, people got ripped off, people lost money. But you could recover because that was the point of entry for 98% of the marijuana coming into America from Colombia and Jamaica back then. And then the cocaine cowboys emerged, and that was violent. That was guns, crazy people, crazy drug, and machine gunning people in the middle of the day, in the middle of the mall. And that, and then I said, I don't like violence. I don't like the people that are used to be marijuana smugglers turning into cocaine smugglers and getting guns crazy. So I moved my whole organization to California. I pioneered a new smuggling route from the west coast of Colombia to the west coast of the United States, where it was still mellow and peaceful. And nobody was looking for marijuana coming into, into California, so I brought my boats underneath the Golden Gate Bridge. As the newspaper said, I had a fleet of boats larger than most countries' navies. So in 1980, was that was the year I really, really hit it out of the ballpark, um, smuggling marijuana into America. And then eventually um, I got busted for, I was a fugitive from a Jamaican smuggle in Florida. I went to trial back then, got a hung jury, came back running my empire uh, back in California, and eventually got busted because people told. My partners got busted on a different case and rolled over on me. The people that were laundering my money all over the world got busted on a different case and rolled over on me. And so they came and arrested me, and I spent nine years in federal prison. Wasn't too bad. Was in co-ed prisons, the last two co-ed prisons in America. So my best friends are spies, assassins, terrorists, hijackers, jewel thieves, bank workers, smugglers, and that's just the females. I literally <laughs> now, walked around holding hands with my girlfriend. That's crazy. So what year is this? This is about 1985, somewhere around 85. So I spent nine years there, five years in Pleasanton, one year in Lexington, which is the final and last co-ed prisons in America. And um, my girlfriend was a Russian spy. I had a crush on the Puerto Rican terrorist, but she went with the other smuggler, Mikey, and I ended up with a Russian spy. So how how does one get into the co-ed prison? Because I had um, a guest on the show last week who told me his story of spending 32 years in federal prison, and he did not have a good story to tell like you do. No, this, the co-ed prisons are the way to go if you want to have nonviolent, truly uh, uh, an effective prison system, but we don't care about an effective prison system in America. All we care about is the prison industrial complex and punishment, you know, and revenge or, uh, you know, it's really the prison industrial complex, but that's a different story. You know, they have industry in prison. Oh, yeah. They pay 23 cents an hour. And these, some of these are like giant companies supplying, making millions of dollars on basically slave labor. Yes. But again, different story. Uh, you you go by your, you, there's minimum, medium, and maximum prison. I, and so my crime was I was medium, so I had to go to a medium security facility, not minimum like a camp and not maximum for murderers and, you know, uh, violent offenders. So that's number one, medium security. And they try and house you near where you lived. So I lived in, or my ex-wife and my son lived in Berkeley, and the closest medium security prison was Pleasanton, which was co-ed. Every other prison that was medium had people that had snitched on me in the prison, so they wouldn't send me there. So it was just pure luck on my part um, that I ended up at Pleasanton uh, because of my security uh, clearance rating. Yeah. So what was your transition like out of prison navigating, you know, your next professional move? 
Well, you know, that's a big deal. Uh, and, and I work with people that work with people in prison. Uh, Stacy is my personal assistant, but she's for eight, seven years ran around the cannabis advocating to get people out of prison. And I'm at a lady's house now named Amy Ralston. Um, I can't pronounce her last name, but, um, she, she literally gets clemency for people that have been in prison for 24 years, 30 years, marijuana prisoners. So I'm really around a group of people that I really like what they do. Because when you get out of prison, you have zero, zippo, nothing. All right, let's take the average person. Do you have an umbrella? Do you have a fork and a spoon and a plate? Do you have shoes? You don't have any of that stuff, let alone clothes or yeah. money or food. I had nothing when I got out of prison. So you have to buy an umbrella and clothes and shoes wow. and a fork and a spoon and a knife, rent a house, get a job, and start literally over. I found one bank account with $5,000 in it. That's all that the, the government, between the government, the ex-wife, and the lawyers, they got every single penny that I had earned. And I made $100 million and did a billion dollars of the business in my 20s. Yeah. And it was all gone when I got out of prison. So you literally start all over. However, in prison, I got five college degrees. I made straight A's, made the national dean's list, the president's list. I read 100 books a year. It was not a bad time. I really, I saw it from day one as unprecedented opportunity of a lifetime to grow, learn, and study. Then when you get out, you have to now become an entrepreneur all over again or get a job. And that's hard for a lot of people. The general rule is for every year you spent in prison, spend five years, take you five years to get back to normal. Nine years, it took me nine years to get back to my level of comfort, where I had actually built a huge, giant company. You know, I built several companies prior to Hemp Inc. and Medical Marijuana Inc. Um, I had a barter company a couple times. I had a phone card company, international telecom company, just entrepreneurial different endeavors, all of them wildly successful, until I finally got into the public arena with Medical Marijuana Inc., uh, which I started. That was the first pot stock of all the pot stocks. And I sold that to Michael Lamas about 12 years ago and started hemping because I saw the future in hemp. And I noticed that was one of your questions. Why did I get into hemp as opposed to cannabis? Mm -hmm. Well, because my partner at the time was Don Steinberg. I was the largest marijuana smuggler in West Coast history. He was the largest in U.S. history. He was so big, he made me look like I was selling nickel bags at McDonald's. So it never went to my head that I was the top documentary on CNBC you know, Marijuana Inc. inside America's pot industry, 32 million people watched it the first time it aired, and they aired that about 400 times. So most of the people in the industry know me from that documentary, but it never went to my head, okay, I got in the news, but this guy was a thousand times bigger than me, and I knew it, and I knew other smugglers that were much bigger than me. I was just the largest in West Coast history. So we didn't want to touch the marijuana because, come on, two of the largest marijuana smugglers in America are taking the company public for the first time. You know, they, they were after all the pot stocks in 2014. The SEC was, because now 2014, there's a lot more than just the two of us. And a week later, the second one emerged. And then the third and the fourth and the fifth. But the SEC hated us. You know, they, they, they don't invest. They actually put out letters, don't invest in the pot stocks, because the pot stocks were going wild back then, because Oregon and Colorado went legal mm -hmm. recreationally. And that made all the pot stocks go through the roof. And a lot of them were air. They were just starting. I mean, give it a break. You never know who's right. going to come and, and make it and hit it big. So they had a lot of balls to say, don't invest in the pot stocks because who knew who's going to be the giant? You know, and there's the whole history of 
public company stocks. So I saw hemp. I said, you know something? Hemp, just one division of hemp, hemp plastics, has the potential to be more lucrative than all of marijuana and medical marijuana and recreational marijuana put together. Just hemp plastics, let alone hemp fiber for clothing, hemp, you know, biodiesel for oil. And we didn't even know about CBD back then or CBG or CBN or all cannabinoids and the incredible medicinal benefits you get from them. We were just looking at the industrial applications of hemp. And even before all the CBD and CBG craze, and even now, I don't know how many people even know about CBG. Everyone knows about CBD. This year, it's CBG. Next year, it's CBN. CBG is incredible for pain. You can kiss goodbye the oxycontins and oxycodons and and opioids. They ain't going to be around after the end of this year because all the farmers in America are growing CBG for two reasons. One, it doesn't go hot, so you're not going to destroy or burn your field or plow it under. Two, you get twice as much money as high CBD hemp. And three, even though they don't consider this, or some people do, some people don't, it really really works. It works as good as any opioid on the marketplace. Well, and it's the parent cannabinoid. It's like type O blood, the you know origin blood type. I mean, that's how I see CBG. You're exactly right. If CBG is the the, the parent cannabinoid, and if you have a plant high in CBG, you can't have a lot of THC because it never developed, and you can't have a lot of CBD because it never developed. So you just have CBG, thus you will never get hot. And that's a big problem. That is a tragedy when a farmer puts in 40 acres or 20 acres or 200 acres, and he has to burn it or plow it under because the sun you know, was too hot that season, or somehow it got stressed, or the cultivar or the strain wasn't exactly perfect. Because, you know, they started breeding um, the THC out and the CBD in, and it takes a couple generations to get that right. So and, let me know, interrupt you. Weren't right. So whenever it gets too hot, does that mean that the um, THC cannabinoid is starting to express more and so it goes above their ratio of THC or that it's just like the plant is dying? No, when it goes too hot, that means that it has more than the legal. What okay, the that's what I thought. Is, yeah. Keep yeah, going. Point zero three percent THC and above is marijuana. Point zero three zero three percent and below THC is legally classified as hemp. So the breeders tried to get the cultivar below that zero point three percent. But you know when a plant gets stressed out, that's when it starts producing the THC. So if the weather's too hot, if they were planted too close together, there's a million reasons bugs are attacking it. That it, that it will stress a plant and it gets too hot and it spikes. Now you've got this field, which you thought was going to be hemp, and then it ends up being above the legal limit, so they have to burn it or they have to plow it under. They have to destroy the crop. With CBG, you don't have that worry and that concern. Mm-hmm. That's why most of the farmers are going to be growing CBG this year. And But again, you got breeders which don't have perfect cultivars. So you get, you know, auto flower and some of them they plant. You get some of them start to hermaphrodize at a much higher rate than you'd ever expect. And it takes a while to, you know, to sort through which are the good breeders, which are the ones that don't know what they're doing, which have a good cultivar, which don't have a good cultivar. And it's all a learning experience. We're still such at the infant stage of this industry. And people don't have a clue what they're doing. After yeah. doing this for 12 years as Hemp Inc., 
I've come to the conclusion that really most people I run into don't have a friggin' clue what they're doing. 65 to 75% of all hemp grown last year never made it to market for a whole variety of reasons, wow. you know, starting with the weather and, the, and you know, it was caterpillars in North Carolina. It was, it was hail in Colorado and Oregon. It was the winter came too early or the rains came too early in Oregon. They got all mold. There was grasshoppers in Nevada and Arizona. So there's different, so that's just one thing, the natural disasters. Then you got spider mites and russet mites and all your pests. And then you have people that grew all these giant fields and didn't understand we grew 40 acres. For 40 acres, we had a gorgeous crop, uh, 40 acres of OG, uh, 398 OG bubble cushion that we make our king of hemp pre-rolls with. That crop was 100,000 pounds and 40 acres, but you got to walk 80 linear miles every day. So the guys mm. that try and grow 400 acres, that's 800 linear miles. You can't walk 800 linear miles, but you can't tell that to a big farmer. He's used to growing 400 acres. That's a small grow for them. Oh, we're going to grow 400 acres. I'm buying tractors and nutrients and weed whackers, because that's all I really wanted, out of bankruptcy from those companies that did try to grow a 400-acre grow, uh, in this yeah. case, in Pahrump. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what does Hemp Inc. do to help these farmers? You know, is there a consulting part of your business where you're kind of holding some of these newbie farmers' hands through this process? Because we definitely need more people involved in the industry so that we can get the kind of traction that we need so that hemp plastics can become a viable option and a solution for the trash crisis. But if we've got a bunch of people out there that don't know what they're doing, how are you helping them? Three ways. One, we have a thing called the Hemp University. So in North Carolina, in North Carolina, we have the largest hemp processing facility in the Western Hemisphere. And that was done early on. So that's industrial products. It's not CBD. We did have an extractor in there for a while, but it's mostly industrial. We make lost circulation material and oil spill for the oil industry. And um, we make a, uh, a spill be gone, it's called, the other second product, and that's to do oil spill cleanups. And we use a combination of hemp and canaf. Canaf is a tall plant, similar to, it's a cousin to, to hemp. So we've had six hemp universities in North Carolina where we just bring in experts from all over America and we teach the farmers how to grow. We teach them how to clone. We teach them how to, you know, how to source seeds. Just everything you need to know about growing. And in a one-day course, you can't really teach everything. And we're going to go to two-day courses. But so far, it was been one day. The Hemp University always sold out. Only about 300, 250 to 350 people attend them. But they fly in from 17 states to go to the, North Carolina to go to the Hemp University. Then when we moved to Oregon to do the big, the 40-acre grow, Oh, and by the way, the 40-acre, what I forgot to say is that I missed was it took 135,000 square feet of office of warehouse space to dry that 40 acres. Wow. 40 acres, 135,000 square feet. Right? And you have to know how to hang it right or rack dry it because if you rack dry it, you get 40% more space than if you hang dry it, which is the traditional way of doing it. But when you move from little boutique growing, which all the cannabis growers are experts at. They know how to grow marijuana, but that's 48 plants, 99 plants, you know, 12 plants. Boutique grows. You expand to tens of thousands of plants, 
and you're talking semis and logistics and warehouses and a whole different world right. than, than than a small boutique grow, like 135,000 square feet of warehouse space per 40 acres. So now think of 400 acres, how many square, how much you need. So we had five hemp universities up in Oregon. So we're, again, we're teaching the farmers how to do that, and we also had the Golden Grow Awards where we people grew their best cultivars of hemp, like a cannabis cup but for hemp, and we had that last year. Now we're focused are growing in you know still North Carolina, Oregon, and now we're focusing in my eco village out in Arizona, where the big grow is about 77 acres, and I changed the model a little bit. We're having a hempathon, a contest. Everyone grows one acre. And they compete. Now I can grow one acre forty with forty people, rather than a forty acre grow myself. It's way more doable. That's the magic formula. Grow one acre forty times with forty people and split the revenue with them fifty fifty. That's what we're doing out at the Eco Village called Veteran Village Kins Community, ninety miles away from Las Vegas, north of Kingman, in the middle of the desert. It's really a cool, cool place. And you can see that by going to Kins Community, K-I-N-S, community.com. So the Hemp University is the first way we help. And we're going to start doing the Hemp University out there in Arizona. The problem is you can't gather more than 10 people. So we're waiting to see if the law, if the rules change or COVA. We're relatively safe. We're northwest Arizona in the middle of the desert, not where they're spiking down in Tucson, Phoenix, and Scottsdale. We're really, really safe. I mean, you'll be lucky if you get 600 feet away from someone because we got, you know, 4,500 acres out there. Yeah, and I just drove through the desert on my way back here, and I'm like, there's no virus surviving in this heat. Exactly. Thank you. Okay. But we have live streaming video, so we got to be really careful, though, because you can go and watch live streaming video from the Hemp Inc. website or Kins Community website and see that eco-village and see if people are, in fact... And I get people calling me, Bruce, you're having 300 people out there at this. We had this party out there and someone wanted to throw a party. I said, fine, throw a party. And um, they weren't social distancing. They got C for social distancing and F for wearing masks, but nobody got coronavirus. That was about surprise, surprise. 13th and 14th. So, okay, so we do the Hemp University. The second thing we do, we do have a consulting division. I think that's division number eight or nine in our company. People pay to, to pay us to consult. We like to do it with public companies because we charge a lot because you're going to lose millions of dollars in a couple of years if you don't come to us. And I've seen, we've seen it over and over again. Look at all the giants that went out of business. The guys with the hundreds of millions of dollars, and in some cases, billion-dollar companies, Canopy, Mile High, uh, Gen Can in Kentucky, uh, the list just goes on and on and on. They all went belly up. We were there at the beginning of the race. We're still here 12 years later, and we just started after building this huge infrastructure, you know, all over the country to start marketing our King of Hemp line and our pre-rolls. We sold about, we just about the $2 million mark in selling the OG Bubba Kush, the 398 OG Bubba Kush buds. The rest of them, the smalls and the little ones, we bring to Las Vegas and make pre-rolls out of them. Let me ask you something, because I have not, um, I'm not one that has smoked hemp CBD flour. Tell me what that experience is like versus smoking cannabis CBD flour. Okay. You know, when you smoke pot, it takes, what, two minutes before you start getting high? 
I don't know. I haven't smoked pot in 40 years, except I started last week. Stacy from the cannabis got me smoking. <laughs> it's great to go to sleep. I, I can't yeah, talk. You, know, you don't smoke pot for 40 years. So you're going to get stoned out of your mind. I'll take one puff. When I go to bed, I don't even get done getting high and I'm asleep. <laughs> yeah, that's right? nice. All right, so so that's what I use, and it works. You know, I'm 69. You, you have a hard time sleeping when you get this age, and you have pain. I didn't have pain. The first time I smoked one and a half puffs, I not only did not have any pain, I have degenerative disc disease, so my spine and my neck hurt, right? I figure that's better than heart disease, right? So, yes. And it hurt, but I had no pain three feet outside my body. <laughs> With my body not in any pain, neither was it three feet out, and I fell right asleep. And so that's my usage. Okay, so you, it takes that long, what, two minutes to start getting high? With CBD, the effect of CBD, and I'm not, I can't make any medical claims. We all know the medical benefits of CBD. You just Google it, or you see Sanjay Gupta talk. Or you listen to Casually Make the Podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So the effect of the CBD kicks in in two minutes. Where if you take tinctures under your CBD tincture under your tongue, it's still going to go through your sublingually. It's absorbed. It takes a lot longer than when you smoke. It. Smoking is the fastest delivery system other than injection. And I wouldn't advise people <laughs> injecting it. No. But because it goes directly into the lungs, from the lungs directly into the bloodstream. So whatever medicinal effect you're using the CBD for, it's immediate. Typically, the most thing people say, the most common thing is, I really feel relaxed and calm. Yeah, and that's how, you know, cannabis CBD is. I was just curious if maybe the experience, if it tasted differently, like you can still get a really nice terpene profile on a cannabis CBD flower. Does that exist with the hemp-based CBD flower? Yeah, it's exactly the same. It's the same thing. Uh, except there's no THC. So you get everything, mm -hmm. all the medicinal benefits from the terpenes, from the cannabinoids, without getting high. We chose pre-98 OG Bubba Kush because it's such a smooth smoke. It really, really feels good when you when you smoke it in, as opposed to some other cultivars which are good and have a lot more a lot more terpenes, but those terpenes are very harsh on your throat. We picked that on purpose. We paid like way more. This, back then, the seeds were selling for a dollar. We actually paid a dollar fifty a seed, bought them out of Spain, and grew this, you know, just hugely, wildly successful crop in, in, in um, the Rogue Valley of Southern Oregon. And that's what we are. And by the way, that's another problem with hemp. Don't think you're going to grow hemp and cash out the same year. We grew this, you know, this was last year's crop. We're already planting again this year, and we're still just hit the two, just about, I'll get, I'll know tomorrow, but just about to hit the two million mark, dollar mark. And we're just beginning to sell the pre-rolls. That was just the buds. Now we have the pre-rolls that we're launching. And so cash return, you've got to really plan it on two years. These are the things that people don't know. And these are the things why our consulting is so valuable. And the third thing we do for, in terms of helping farmers, we do joint ventures. And it's a very simple, easy, down dirty deal. You put in all the money. We put in all the expertise. We do a 50-50 split. You get all your money paid back up front first, mm -hmm. and then we split it 50-50. And, you know, it's hard to say, well, now nah, we're not going to use an expert. We're going to do it ourselves. 
four people committed suicide last year in Oregon because their crops failed, and 60 to 75 percent of the crops never made it to market in Oregon or anywhere in America, whether it was Colorado, North Carolina, Arizona, Nevada. Those are the ones I'm most familiar with. Well, you know, that said, what are the states that you feel like are doing it right and helping set these farmers up for success? And which ones, you know, would you not touch with a 10-foot pole? Well, here's the here's the issue. Colorado and and Oregon are doing it right, and they're doing it wrong. They're doing it right because they have they're they're doing it the longest. So you have your most experienced growers there, and you have your most experienced cannabis growers. So a lot of cannabis growers can, and when I say cannabis, I mean marijuana. I um, so they know how to grow cannabis, whether it has THC or no THC. Uh, but they don't know how to scale up, but they still, a lot of them learned how to scale up. So you have the most experience. People that are just starting in, in New, North Carolina, the guy on the hemp commission, he's the farmer on the hemp commission. They, unlike any other state, they had to have a hemp commission there. Right? And he planted his seeds on 40 acres, four inches, four inches uh, deep. Not one plant came up. Destroyed an entire 40 acres of crop that year because he planted them too deep. They just don't know. So, so where I wouldn't t- I I wouldn't say I wouldn't touch any state with a ten foot pole because you do have experts that do make the transition, do make the mistakes, have heard about the mistakes that other people have made, and built a, a successful model. We're not the only successful guys out there. There's a lot of successful people, and there's a lot of failures. You can't point to any one thing that made any one of them fail. So that's why where twelve years of experience comes in really, really handy, you know, in 12 years. I mean, I've been doing this industry legally or illegally for 55 years. And it's not that I'm so smart about it. I really have a lot of smart people around me. I mean, a lot of really good growers, good business people, good accounting people, just a lot of good people. And you just don't get those people overnight. Most of the people that work at Hemp Inc. with me are, you know, been with me 10 to 25 years and a variety of other companies as well. So any state has the opportunity to explode and be a giant, great state. There's good stuff. Florida is just coming online. You can grow two to three crops in Florida. Arizona, where I'm focused right now, you can get two or three crops a year. We're not sure. It's desert growing. It's completely different than, you know, the Rogue Valley of Oregon, which, by the way, does grow the finest hemp in America. That's the the, that's the Napa Valley of hemp is the Rogue Valley of Southern Oregon. No one's going to beat that, <laughs> okay? You just can't, and I didn't believe it. I said, oh, that's baloney. You can grow just as good anywhere. No, you can't. You know, there's the, the different differential between the daytime temperature and the nighttime temperature, the humidity in the air. There's a million factors other than storm. just the soil, you know, that make that a prime growing area in America. But you can do it anywhere in America, Anywhere, if you know what you're doing. So riddle me this, with your desert growing, are you trying out just like a drip irrigation type system to conserve water? I mean, are different farmers trying different things to see what works the best in this Hempathon? That's what's so neat about the Hempathon. Everyone's trying different things. On one location, they're doing drip irrigation and they're planting four-foot centers. In another location, they're doing flood irrigation and they're planting 18 inches apart. So we got a whole variety of techniques. Some people putting up shade cloth, some people putting up wind cloth because you got to deal with the wind out there, you know. Yeah. And um, 
So it's really, really interesting. We have a whole variety of cultivars, different cultivars, mostly CBG though, and a different variety of growing techniques. And, you know, some people swear by drip irrigation so you can get the nutrient, exact nutrient loads you want to the plant, where you can't quite get that in flood irrigation would cost you millions of dollars in nutrients to do that. But here's the desert. You've got to do a soil analysis. You've got to make sure your water's not too hot. So we, we you know, paint all our, our tanks and our pipes with a thing called Thermoshield, which totally cools down any water tank or any pipeline. You know, because you have black pipe. We have a big giant well. It's 365 gallons a minute, but it's a mile and a half away from the grow. Right? So we run a block pipe above ground last year. That water was scalding. This year, or over the winter, last winter, we painted it with Thermoshield. Well, first of all, we buried most of it. But when you went over BLM land, because there's a lot of BLM land there, you, ha- you couldn't bury it. So you painted it with a Thermoshield. And then we planted our black tanks white. And Thermosfield has the specs from the spaceship, you know, the, the spaceship mm-hmm. tiles in the paint, embedded in the paint. So it really has an enormous R value. And it keeps, now our water is like amazing. You, can't, you cannot believe it. It was like over 100 degrees last year. And this year it's like 60 or 70 degrees coming out into the ground. What's your plants like? Those little learning nuggets are so cool. And that's what's so fun about the hempathon and you know instead of one farmer trying these different methods with each harvest you're able to see what is really performing best in real time and then at the end everyone's the wiser yeah and 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 the other thing we we're experimenting with different soil nutrients and soil amendments you know we have a a, a bunch of soil mycorrhizans 62 mycorrhizans and a product called soil balance okay so that's you know, so we're testing, this is soil balance, this is without soil balance. This is with um, biochar from a company called Carbon Logic, and this is without biochar. And this is with this nutrient. So the nutrient companies have found, wow, what a place to test our product and showcase it to the world. We sell it to a farmer in Oregon, nobody sees it. We sell it to the, somebody at the Hempathon, or we give it to someone at the Hempathon to use. You got live, not only does everybody see it, you got live streaming video cameras on it on each of the groves. And we're doing the Hemp University out there as soon as the coronavirus, you know, allows more than 10 people. We may actually start it with just 10 and um, do it every day maybe. I don't know. what We'll, we'll figure something out. But um, you can't get away from it. The whole world's watching you. And if you go to the Hemp University, not only do you get your growers teaching you how to grow, you can then walk out into the field, something we couldn't really do in North Carolina and Oregon, because the field's 100 feet away. And we can yes. show you this is all the, this is this cultivar, this is this is this is flood irrigation, this is drip irrigation, this is CBG, that's CBD, this is biochar, that's um, soil balance, this is this other nutrient, I forgot the name of it, that we're also testing. And when word gets out that we're doing this, every nutrient company in America that wants to prove their products are going to showcase their products there. And then we put banners there. This is soil balance. This is, you know, biochar. And we promote carbon logic. And then we resell all that stuff so we make a little bit of profit when we do that, maybe 10% or something. Nice. So how do people get involved? I mean, obviously, the Hempathon's going on now, but it's something that you plan to do again. How do, you know, kind of what's the time frame of people if they want to get involved in that? 
it's not too late for the Amazon because you can plant. Right now, it's too probably too hot to plant. June and July is a little bit too hot. August maybe a little bit, but then you can plant autocrop, autoflower. I'm sorry, autoflower, because that's only a, what a 67 or 70 day cycle. So you can still join the hempathon, plant one acre of autoflower, and you can get in this year. Um, you go to kinscommunity.com, K-I-N-S community.com, and that's where you find the, all the information about the hempathon. And about the Kins community, because, you know, this is serving our veterans. This is called the Veteran Village Kins community. That's what that one's for, to help our veterans get rehab, you know, use plant medicine to help with their post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, we have a holistic healing and learning center we're building there as part of that. And the next Kins community we'll build will be abused women and children's Kins community, then orphans Kins community, then the homeless Kins community, then the healers Kins community, then heal the healers Kins community. This is something that is a duplicatable model that is cookie cutter designed to very for very rapid expansion because we have the revenue from the hemp from one eco village used to build two more eco villages. And if you know the numbers in hemp and the successful hemp grow, you know that we're talking pretty obscene huge amounts of millions of dollars. And my goal is to change the world. So how do you change your world? You help the veterans, you help abuse women, children, you help orphans, you help the homeless. We're building the largest wildlife animal sanctuary in the world around the mountain from Veteran Village Kins Community in Arizona on 2,500 acres called Wild Planet, already approved by Mojave County. This is like really cool stuff. That is really cool <laughs> stuff. I need to come out to the desert and visit. I mean, I drove through it. I, I went right by Kingsman, but I went up to Vegas. I had to meet my manufacturing partner. So you can come and anyone can come there, bring their motor home. Camping is free. You can park there for free. Uh, and we have a bunch of houses. So sometimes you can stay at one of the houses, you know, because you don't want to stay in a tent in the desert. Right? At least I don't want to stay in a tent really anywhere. <laughs> I grew up in the 60s. We did a lot of camping. But, you know, you can bring your motor home or your sprinter or, you know, or your bus. You know, the can of bus is out there. Uh, no, it's in the house, actually. But, you know, when people want to come visit, they would call Stacy from the can of bus and stay at the house, you know, because she has a house out there 30 miles from the veteran village. You could stay at the Russian spy's house in the fifth wheel behind her house, but she would terrorize you. <laughs> you know, so I'm still with her. You know, I mean, she's, we're friends. We're not married anymore, but I still take care of people that I care about, and she's one of the people I care about because we had a wonderful experience, a unique experience in prison together. So I try and take care of all my exes as much as I can. Well, I love that. And I do, and I do a pretty good job. You're still alive, so I believe it. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm really nice to everybody. I, you know, that's, you know, they're all spoiled, rotten, living like, like they should, you know, like queens. <laughs> there you go. Well, so I have one thing about the Veterans Village piece, because it's top of mind. I recently was home and saw a friend of mine who is disabled veteran, and he's in a lot of pain, but he cannot consume cannabis. And so I really like the idea of really shining a light for veterans on this CBD-only option, because... Yeah, here, what you want when someone's in really bad pain like that... Get some CBG. I took, look, I take Nucenta. It's a strong, oh, $1,200 a month for my spinal 
uh, you know, my degenerative disease because it hurts. And I only take it at night because I don't want to be loopy in the daytime. So it makes the pain go away. But now the marijuana makes the pain go away. If you just want to get marijuana one little puff, I took two CBG pills. They were 25 milligram pills. They made them up the Rogue Valley under my tongue in 15 minutes. My pain was gone exactly the same as if I took a Nucenta, which takes 45 minutes to kick in because it goes to the digestive tract. I let it dissolve under my tongue. 15 minutes. We'll be launching our CBG pills, but we don't have them now, but you can buy it on the internet. Just don't get the CBD and CBG combination. That didn't work as good for me. You know, just CBG. I'm telling you, it is incredible. All right. Go to sleep, get some CBN, the most powerful natural sleep aid known to man that's not addictive. So because THC as it ages and it turns into CBN, is CBN always going to still be under the cannabis umbrella? Is there that in hemp? You know, that's a really good question. It'll probably, and this is strictly conjecture on my part, it'll probably stay under the, the, the marijuana umbrella because it it does, you're right, it, it, THC degenerates into CB, uh, CBNs. And not very many people know that. You're pretty smart. Um <laughs> So, Thank you. so it'll probably stay in our, which is ridiculous, all these ridiculous laws. Eventually, this is all going to be like hay, growing hay or growing tomatoes or growing cucumbers. We're just going through the process to get there. But that's, you know, I'm a visionary. I can see the future. I never thought it would take this long. But, you know, eventually we're all going to be growing our own medicine in our backyards. And the pharmaceutical drug cartel will sort of dwindle away. and. I don't know what they'll make. They'll make some other stuff. But we can heal ourselves from our own plant medicines. And because of the Internet, it's so easy to find everything out. Like I just said, if you want pain, go Google CBG. And it's on the market. You can get distillate. You can get tinctures. And you could probably get the pills. I don't know if the pills quite hit the market yet because I know um, we're going to be making little CBG pills. And I can't wait for that because I don't like taking this. I only take a half at night, and I still don't like that. It's not a good thing for me to be doing mm-hmm. or anyone else. I love your insight, and I appreciate what you're doing um, for the the community and the movement as a whole. Is there something that I didn't ask you that you want to touch on? Yeah, there is something. I'm at this lady's house in Topanga County. I'm on a journey right now. I call it the epic journey because I'm marketing my, my pre-rolls, my CBD pre-rolls and the king of hemp pre-roll and the king of um, hemp tinctures. And so I'm stopping at people's on at uh, Amy Clayton's house. She's a friend of Stacy Theus from the Cannabis. And I just think people really need to focus on getting the marijuana prisoners out of jail. I'm listening to these women talk. This lady gets clemency for people that have been in jail. Like your friend for 32 years, I asked if she knew him and she didn't. But she goes and helps people like that. People need to support and do something about, look, I did nine years. It wasn't so, and I didn't have a bad time at all. I was lucky. The people in jail for this plant, that, you know, and I'm not an activist. I use entrepreneurialism as the engine of change. But people should jump on board and help the people that are uh, marijuana prisoners. They should go look up the cannabis and support their journey because they're always promoting to get this person out of jail or get this person in clemency. And not only that, but they help the families after the people get in jail. 
Because, you know, the big tragedy of the marijuana prisoners, the, you know, I just saw on the news that 8,000 people out of jail in California, let all the marijuana pr- pr- prisoners out of jail. That's what needs, that's what people's focus needs to be. No matter what you're doing economically, entrepreneurially, some of your energy should be going to support that. And then they get out of jail, they don't have an umbrella or a toothbrush or clothes. And these women are helping these marijuana prisoners. I so admire these two women. I know there's, there are only two. There's a whole group of them. But more people should be doing what they're doing. You know, they are the real heroes when you work and get someone out of jail and then help them after they get out of jail to get an umbrella and a toothbrush and a fork and spoon and some clothes. That's wonderful stuff. So look up the cannabis people. Look <laughs> the can- help, help the prisoners because they don't deserve to be in prison for that length of time for a nonviolent marijuana crime that the, now the government is considered an essential business. Right. Coronavirus came. The dispensaries are considered essential businesses, and that's what they're in prison for. And, you know, I will uh, make sure to include information about cannabis in the show notes at casuallybake.com, along with a couple of other organizations, because a lot of us, we're serving our communities in other ways. And a lot of times it's just easier to be able to reach out and support people who are really owning that space. And so I will make sure that I support them and encourage our listeners to do the same. Thank you. That that shows that, you know, people say, what's with this community? I've never seen any community. I go, well, here's what this community is all about. This community is legal. It was birthed in the 1996 Compassionate Use Act. That's what made marijuana, medical marijuana legal the first time in California. There's more compassion inculcated into our industry than any other industry on the planet. You still have your scammers and your ripoff artists and your, you know, liars and thieves, but you have still have more compassion built into this than the oil industry, the paper industry, the legal industry, the banking industry, you name an industry, the auto industry. They don't have compassion built into it. We do. I agree. Mama Cannabis knows how to build, right? Yeah, it's the female energy. It's the nurturing, compassionate, loving energy of the female plant. Absolutely. The female species. Yes, preach. Thank you for the acknowledgement. <laughs> I'm one of those guys that think women should be running the world, okay? And I'm actually actively promoting creating a thousand millionaire women in one organization, but that's a whole nother story. So they can, in fact, take over the world and because they, you know, men blew it. We brought this planet to the brink of destruction, which is plainly obvious now. And if women were in charge, it'd be a whole different ball game. And mm-hmm. that's what I'm a proponent for. Yeah, mic drop on that one. Well, good. Hey, th- Bruce, thank you so much for your time and and for what you do for the industry. Oh, you're welcome, Joe. It's my pleasure talking, and I'm, it's a pleasure talking to someone who's so knowledgeable. And you surprised me with how much information you actually knew. You're you're real good. Nice. I love to pleasantly surprise folks. (laughs) I agree with Bruce that there is more compassion in the cannabis industry than any other industry on the planet. And I think it's a great goal to emulate in our own lives. As Americans, we're competitive as fuck. We're all great at trying to speak louder than our adversaries or out-hustle the other guy and beat the other team. 
So what if we use that same drive when it comes to love and compassion? I hope you'll strive to be the most loving and compassionate person you know. And when you do, reach out and let me know how your life changes. In the Podcast 144 show notes at casuallybaked.com, you will find organizations funding social change and financial aid for those who are still serving prison time for nonviolent cannabis-related offenses. If you know someone whose voice needs amplifying, or if you have a message to share, please reach out to me at casuallybaked.com or through one of my social channels. I'm at Casually Baked on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And if someone you love is warming up to cannabis, encourage them to subscribe to Casually Baked, the podcast. I like to think that I offer a soft place to land for anyone interested in a relaxed wellness approach to cannabis consumption and the modern cannabis culture. Yes, is a high time. Casually Baked, the podcast was created, recorded, and produced by yours truly. Editing and sound design are in the capable hands of Arnav Gupta. The podcast theme music is by my highly talented friend, Seth Walker. If you aren't familiar with Seth's music, you can find High Time on his album, Gotta Get Back, wherever you're buying your music these days. I know he didn't create High Time for me, but it sure as shit sounds like he did, right? I hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for hanging out. Happy birthday to all of my Leo brothers and sisters out there. I am sending you so much love, and I hope you'll puff, puff, pass it. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms podcast. I started the Pop Moms podcast... Well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing. Don.